Are you ready to live your best life, be stronger, and fall in love with yourself? It's possible, and it's inside you, but you need to unlock the power within. Welcome to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody used to be afraid to take risks. It took some stepping out of her comfort zone to get her there. Along with her guests and their stories, Jody will help you to live your best life ever. Now, here's your host, Jody Harrison Bauer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fearlessly Authentic. I'm your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, and welcome to the show. If you are a new listener, welcome. And this is the place where you get educated, empowered from that education, a little entertained and inspired to live a fearlessly authentic life because I spent way too much time being afraid to take risks on myself, the fear of judgment, and to step really firmly in my truth. And it's not always easy. And that's why I created this show so you can listen and learn and maybe laugh a little bit too. So welcome everybody. I can't wait to share my guest with you. We're going to learn so much today. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. We have a five-star rating. You can find us also on YouTube. All of my social platforms are at Jody Harrison Bauer. And I think that is it. So we are going to get right into the show. I have Dr. Nina Savelle Rocklin. Welcome to the show, Nina. Great to be here as always. I love having you here. I always learn so much from you and um, you just, um, you inspire me to uh, always live the most fearlessly authentic life, no matter what I'm doing. So for those of you who do not know Dr. Nina Savelle Rockland, she is a psychoanalyst, author, and radio host, a globally recognized expert in the field of eating disorders. She has written four books and more than 50 articles. She hosts the Dr. Nina Show, Outsmart Emotional Eating on LA Talk Radio, and The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina on Voice America. She founded The Binge Cure Method and is dedicated to helping people worldwide overcome binge eating and heal their relationship with food. That's that's pretty to the point, Nina. Um, I wanted to ask you, can you tell us more about the binge cure method you founded and how it helps people overcome their binge eating or other food disorders? Absolutely. So the problem that most people have is that they they focus on food as the problem right they think oh i have a i have no control i have no willpower i'm a food addict and they keep focusing on changing their relationship with food by focusing on food and that is like plucking a weed and hoping it won't grow back right you you have to get to that root to get rid of a weed and similarly with food issues, you've got to get to the hidden reasons where it like, like the, like the root, which is in hidden from us. We can't see it. It's, it's, it's in the ground. There are thoughts that we have that are, that we're in the dark about they're unconscious and hidden. And by recognizing that, and also learning new ways of responding to ourselves, learning to identify the, our why instead of focusing on what. I like to say it's not what you're eating that's the true problem, it's what's eating at you. And then how do you identify that? That's Those are the hidden things, learning to identify that. Um, and then learning to express yourself in a different way and learning to comfort yourself in a different way. We live in a culture that says, don't feel your feelings. So what do people do when they have feelings? Well, there's a reason that we have an epidemic of addictions or you know, eating disorders or workaholism or gambling or you know, what have you. All these are ways of coping. And so the binge cure method is really changing your entire relationship with yourself, which then changes your relationship not only with food, but with other people, with you know, your your world. Right. And- and, I, and as you mentioned, you know, other people may go to gambling or porn or um, alcohol, drugs, whatever it might be, but it's really not about that. Food is similar to that, right? It's a way of coping. Mm-hmm. I, I co-edited a book called Beyond the Primal Addiction, and 
I mean, every chapter was called addiction. I don't think of it as, I don't, I don't like the idea of food addiction. I don't agree with that. If anything, it's an eating addiction, not, you're not addicted to actual food, even though many people, that's very controversial. And many people will say, yes, I am a food addict and get very upset Mm -hmm. when I say this. Oh, well, Uh, a lot of people (laughs) come to me and say, I'm a food addict and they leave going, oh, I was never a food addict. Uh, Mm -hmm. But But the point is with the book, it's all these different addictions, you know, food, sex, shopping, internet, gambling, all of these things where people can get addicted to. And we get addicted when we're addicted, people will point to, well, it lights up certain areas in your brain. Anything that's pleasurable lights up those areas of our brain. So these are all coping strategies of how to deal with the feelings and situations that come up in our everyday lives that we are not taught to deal with. We're, we're taught not to think of something positive, think it away. Don't like, you know, just look on the bright side. It could be worse. All of these things that we, we are told, which basically is so dismissive. And so then how do we learn to identify and process our emotions, which are only, they're just reactions to situations not character flaws. You know, I remember talking to you about this before and you mentioned, you know, one of, it just really stuck out in my mind that when a child cries, for example, they hurt themselves at the playground. I think that was your example, something similar to that. And the mom or the caregiver immediately says, here's a cookie, here's some ice cream, because they want to distract them from what they're feeling. I believe that's what you said, where the the real problem is that they fell down, they hurt themselves. So can you, you know, explain that in more detail, please? Yeah, well, this I, I, I will, uh, I will explain that. And then I will explain my own experience with my own daughter, which I did everything wrong. And then I realized that I was doing everything wrong. <laughs> and Crazy. I'll, I'll, I'll actually show how that relates to our emotional pain. But so, yeah, so I'm at the park. And my kid is playing with other kids and there were these two little toddlers and they were, they were, you know, digging and digging and playing and everything, little boy, little girl. And all of a sudden the little boy gets up and runs off with the shovel. So naturally the little girl starts crying because, Hey, we've all been there. You're having a good time. And suddenly the dude leaves with the shovel. So, (laughs) so here comes mom, like mom's like, like, don't cry. Don't cry. It's okay. Like, panicked and she's digging in her diaper bag it's okay it's okay it's okay and 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 the kid's crying because of course little dude left her alone with took her shovel and finally mom's like here have a cookie and i just thought oh my god that is the worst thing you could do lady and i really give myself credit for not saying lady right jumping out of right there and say let Um, me help you here yeah but i realized like okay Later on, that little girl is going to grow up and she's going to go on a, on, a, on a date or have a bad experience where she wants to cry. And instead of saying, you know, oh, yes, this is hurtful. You know, this situation is painful. Of course, I feel sad. I'm going to comfort myself with words and acknowledge and validate myself that that girl who's going to become the woman who says, oh, oh, this is making me anxious. I better have a cookie. That like, you know, if I can't stop crying, a cookie will help. Right. And so that and 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 so the way that we are responded to sets the tone for how we later respond to ourselves. People who say, oh, you're fine. That's not that bad. Even in a nice way. Oh, you're fine. That you're good. That's not that bad. They learn to distrust their own experience, because if you're hurting and someone says that's not that bad. You can't really trust your own feelings. Or if someone gets you know, angry, stop your crying already. I'll give you something to cry about. Then you learn that your own feelings make other people angry. And then maybe or, un- or uncomfortable or uncomfortable, right? right? So you're like, oh, I can't, I can't do that. I got to pull it back and find out some other way to soothe myself. Yes. Ice cream won't get mad at me. Right. I, or, or anything else, you know, I, I don't know if I ever shared this with you before, but, you know, when I was in my last, my first marriage, I found because I was unhappy, I found myself shopping all the time. And that was, 
my way of dealing with my unhappiness, my frustration of not being able to change something, not being in control of my relationship because it was a two-way street. So if he wasn't working on it, I couldn't do it all myself. But what I could do is go shopping, whip out my credit card, buy all these clothes that I had no place to wear them to, get feel that high, get in the car, drive home, open the bag and go, what did I just do? And then I would bring those the clothes back. And I, and I think that mirrors a lot of what you're talking about, but with eating. Absolutely. And in my book, The Binge Cure, I talk a lot about um, how many people who, whatever is going on with food, they're doing the same thing with money. Mm-hmm. So many people, what you describe, I would call financial bulimia, right? Mm-hmm. You kind of binge on shopping and then you return everything. Totally. And some people binge on shopping and food, and they don't return it. And we really want to look at, well, what are you buying? And it's like, it's the high, but it's also, are you buying things that kind of take up space in your home, Um, Mm. which is like filling a void? Are you buying things that are going to make you look better? Like, you know, some people only buy like makeup and things like that. Are you, is it about your shoes or bags or things like that? Yeah. I, I, yeah. Do you wish you had a different life? Like, are you buying stuff for the life you wish you had? Right. Or just being really curious about, well, what is motivating that? And and I think that's the point of the, the binge cure method and the way that I work is that whatever is going on, there is a reason. And being really curious about that reason is everything. I, I want to just share my, the story about how I messed up as a mother. Okay. <laughs> I think, and I, I think I did that with my daughter once or twice with here's a cookie type of thing. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't do it with the cookies, but what happened was she, she fell down, she skinned her knee. She came to me, she's crying, crying, crying. It hurts, mommy. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts. And I said, I did everything wrong. I said, you know what? That's not that bad. Mistake. Number one, right. you're okay. Let's just get a band aid. You'll be fine. Totally just dis- nicely dismissive. She keeps crying, but mom, it hurts. It really hurts. And then I went, oh my gosh, I'm doing the thing. I tell everybody not to do. (laughs) Shoot. (laughs) So, although I didn't say shoot. Um, And so I said, oh, you know, now that I look at it, that does look painful. That looks really painful. That must hurt a lot. And that's when she stopped crying. Mm. She's like, yeah, now can we get the Band-Aid? So translate that to emotional pain, right? Mm -hmm. If you're in pain and someone says, you're not that, it's not that bad. You're fine. You you don't, it's not very satisfying. And if we tell it to ourselves, it's definitely not that satisfying. So we have to learn to say, wow, this really does hurt, or this is really upsetting, or this is, you know, this is really hard. Of course I feel bad. Of course I do. Like if the, if the mother you know, with the little boy with the shovel, if, if the mom had just said, of course you're sad, honey, he just took your shovel and he left you alone. Of course you feel bad. You just cry it out. You're going to feel better now, but yeah, right now it, it's, it, it's hurting your feelings. That would yeah. have been a great thing to say. And I think that goes back to a lot of, you know, what people are talking about now is it's always been the case, but we didn't have the words necessarily to describe it, but being seen being heard that maybe in earlier generations, the way I was raised maybe was like, yeah, you just shoved it under the rug. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Get over it. Stop crying. Move on. You know, it wasn't that harsh, but uh, as we grow and we evolve and we learn, we educate ourselves with people like you. um, We learn to listen and make the people around us feel that they are being heard and they are being seen. Absolutely. I was told, I'll give you something to cry about. Oh, you have oh, tough. Yeah. <laughs> That's tough. Like as he's like ready with his belt, I'll give you something to cry about. Like, oh, so I'm committing some kind of a crime that I'm going to be punished for. So, and, and this message is, is then what do we do with our feelings? Right. Then we feel bad. Just not only do we feel bad, we feel bad for having these emotions to begin with. And if we don't have a way of reliably comforting ourselves and soothing ourselves, we're going to use what works. 
And that may be food, that may be shopping, that, that may be whatever, as a way to give ourselves what ideally words would do. Right. So what made it, what motivated you to become a psychoanalyst in this field? Well, I mean, I've shared before my story of how when I was five years old, I suddenly thought that my thighs were too big and I- I would love for you to share that. Okay. So when I'm, so I'm, so I'm five years old, I remember the exact moment. Um, uh, this is something I haven't actually shared, but I'm going to share it now. Where was I? I was at the tennis court. Why was I at the tennis court? Because my dad and some other woman that was not my mother were playing tennis together. And she, I'm, I'm fairly certain, had very skinny legs. So I'm at the tennis court and I look down and I suddenly got the idea that my thighs were too big. Mm. And this, that somehow- Five years I, old. Five, five years, years old. old. Five, five. Somehow I got the idea that if I were thinner, I would somehow be better. And this led into my you know, eating disorder hell so that by the time I was a teenager, I was just always on some restrictive, crazy diet. And eventually my willpower would fail and I'd binge and sometimes I'd purge. So I was the poster child for eating disorders because I had all of them. I would just go in the cycle, diet, restrict, binge, binge, purge, diet, you know, it was just, it just took over my life. Every waking thought seems to be about numbers, you know? Right, right. And then I finally went to therapy, but I went for anxiety, not, not for eating disorders, even though I was the poster child for eating disorders. And I talked about everything but food. I talked about guy stuff and family stuff and, you know. And that's why you went that. to, and that's why you went to therapy because of the other things, right? For anxiety. Well, for yeah. anxiety. Yes. Right. The anxiety was actually part of what was leading to the, the, the eating disorder, but I didn't even put that together. Right. I didn't even realize that. But after a while, I, I realized I wasn't doing these behaviors. And by the time I left therapy, all my eating disorders were gone for good. And not once, not ever, ever had I ever talked about food. And people say, how is that possible? How do you get over three eating disorders without ever talking about food? And that's because food was not the problem. It was the solution to the problem, whether I was depriving myself of it or binging on it or binging and purging. It was the solution to the problem, which was my own harsh relationship with myself. And I was a perfectionist and nothing I did was good enough. And, you know, I had no tolerance for my feelings, all kinds of things. And why, by the way, at age five, did I suddenly have that? Besides the fact that my father was playing tennis with a woman with skinny legs. Hmm. Mm. Um, so my parents were college professors and they were very, you know, serious are very serious. And I was always being told, you're too loud. You're too sensitive. You're too dramatic. You're, you're too much was the message. Much, right. And my five-year-old mind took that concretely like, oh, if there were less of me, maybe I'd be more lovable. Wow. And so this is what really showed me the, um, the importance of psychology, my experience in therapy, and then realizing later when I became a psychoanalyst, what had motivated me uh, to look at those hidden reasons. And that's why I, I felt so uh, just adamant about doing the work that I do, because so many people, they're, they're, they're tackling the wrong problem. Right. They're looking at right. food as the problem. It's the solution to the problem. So what are the underlying emotional insights that maybe you would look for when someone comes to you? If they're coming to you for maybe another reason, what, what can you share with us? Well, at, at this point, and for almost as long as I've been doing this, everybody comes to me and says that they're a food addict or they, they have emotional eating or they're, they have binge eating, every single person. Wow. But what they don't know is why. Um, and so that's like the work that I do is to help them figure out the hidden why often they don't even know. And when you don't know why you're being triggered or how you're being triggered, it's really hard to, to, you know, figure out what it is you can't like to know what you can't know. And so I de I've developed in my binge cure method, various ways for people to recognize what it is, but also 
um, one of the things I see a lot, not just with people who see me, is that we live in this society of, you know, where we have this when then trap, which is, well, with, with binge eating disorder, it's, well, when I stop binging, my life will be like this. When I lose weight, my life will be like this. Um, but it, it's, and that's the illusion that the diet industry sells us, right? Hey, if you just uh, lose weight, you, if you're shy, you're going to be confident. If you don't have enough friends, oh, you're going to have so many friends. If, if you don't like your job, you're going to get a better job. If you're not happy, you're going to be happy. Like as if losing weight will, will, will change your entire personality and life. This is, it's, that's the ultimate when then trap. The problem is we just lose weight and nothing changes but the number. Right. It's like when somebody says, well, I'm not happy. I'm going to move across the country or I'm going to move to another country. But all you're doing is bringing that baggage with you if you've never gotten to the bottom of it. Why, why, why are you doing this? You know, going back to my situation, it was I knew that I wasn't happy in my marriage anymore. And guess what? I never go shopping anymore. Uh, It's just, it's not something that interests me. And it's like, it stopped dead on. Um, And so I can talk about that now, 20 something years later, because I did the work on myself, but I had to figure it out myself. I had to stand back and figure it out. So when somebody comes to you and they, they say they have a food disorder, Food problem. I have a food problem. I've got a food problem or I'm a binge eater. I'm an emotional eater. I'm a food addict. And they say something to you and use the what then. I know that if I lose 50 pounds, that I'll have a better job, that I'll be able to meet somebody because right now I'm not meeting anybody because I'm 50 pounds overweight or whatever, or five pounds overweight. So how do you dig deeper? That, that, patient has to be very vulnerable and ready to open up, right? You know, I'm just thinking about someone who used to call my LA talk radio show first called almost every week for a year. And I, I knew that other people were getting really frustrated with her because she would say, I've, I've gained two pounds and I can't stop thinking about these two pounds. And there are people there listening who are like, I need to lose 20 pounds or a hundred pounds or whatever. But right. why did this woman, and she just called yesterday and she's, and she's, she's pregnant and she's about to have her first baby. And anyway, like what well, her life has totally changed. But what we discovered was that the two pounds for her made the difference between being lovable or unlovable. Mm-hmm. Her mother was very focused on the scale and was only focused on numbers. And her younger sister was thinner and sort of more favored. So for her, it's what did those two pounds represent? You think two pounds, like the scale fluctuates two pounds, no matter what, like four pounds, six pounds, devastating to her. Um, But it was because of what it meant. It meant now her mother would not love her. I mean, right. She consciously knew this was not true, but it's not logical. It's psychological. She felt it to be true. And so it's really the meaning of this weight. What is it? mean to someone? What is it? Um, you know, what are their, their ideas about what life will be like if they do lose weight? Why did they gain weight to the, to in the first place? Because some people want to lose weight or stop binging, but they're also afraid to, right? It, it, because that's all they know. Or because, yeah, or because they say it, it protects them in some way. Mm. Um, like, I had, I once treated someone who was like 200 pounds overweight. And she said, I don't know who I'll be if I lose weight. And it was hard for her to imagine that she would be her herself just in a different body or that it, or a lot of people are afraid of a certain kind of attention. Yes. And so they, be, they keep themselves invisible by being not, you know, not sexy, right. Being invisible. And sort of insulating themselves, like literally insulating them from any hurt they may feel with, with the extra weight. I mean, I've had a few clients that have struggled with that where they're like, well, I don't know if I lose 150 pounds, I don't know how that's going to feel. That's a little scary. 
And when I did lose weight in the past, I got a lot of attention from men, from men. And I don't know what I would do now that I'm older. What would I, I, I'm not prepared for that mentally. So it really, it's a, it's a very real thing. And I think people listening right now may think, what what do you mean? You know, but if you have struggled or know somebody, it's, it's a, it's a very real thing, real fear. Yes, being objectified, particularly people who've had negative experiences with sexual abuse or molestation, things like that. They're very afraid to be to be seen. Yeah, that's and and that does seem to be the situation with a lot of women that I know, um, including somebody that's very close to me uh, that had that situation and she did lose weight the wrong way with diet pills back in the eighties and then put it all back on. And at this point, you know, she just says to me, Jody, this is how I'm going to be. Leave me alone. It's and, and that's it. So we are going to take a quick break. We'll back, be back in just a few minutes with Dr. Nina. And so stay with us. Be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. On Fearlessly Authentic, Jody talks about mental and physical well-being, and the key to both starts with proper nutrition. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan was created to help your body feel better. Whether your goal is to lose weight, gain muscle, or just feel lighter and more energetic, Following this meal plan can help you get there. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a 21-day plan to help you learn the most important things about the food we eat and what foods are right for you based on your goals and activity level. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a real plan for real life. This is not a diet, but a change in lifestyle. The plan is simple and easy for you to follow. In the 21-day plan, you will receive meal ideas, snack ideas, a grocery list, and a 21-day journal crucial to your success with inspirational quotes to keep you motivated and keep track of your progress. The key to success is commitment, consistency, and willpower. Be fearless and trust the journey. Go to JodyFit.com to purchase the JodyFit meal plan now and use the promo code podcast to get 25% off. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at voiceamericaempowerment.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments you may have. Send an email to info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. That's info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. Now, back to Fearlessly Authentic. Welcome back to Fearlessly Authentic, everyone. I'm here with Dr. Nina Savell Rockland, and we are talking about different types of, I know I'm going to say this wrong, eating disorders. You're going to say food disorders, right? No, eating disorders eating disorders and her method for the binge cure. And what we were talking about before was the, the conversation that she has with a lot of her patients. What if I lose the weight or change something about what I look about my appearance, then I will be happy then. And so I I really want to delve deeper into that whole conversation because 
as somebody who has been in the fitness industry for a very long time, uh, I, almost every single client would come to me and say, well, I need to lose this weight so I don't look like that. And, and then if you do look like that, what's, what does that even mean? I mean, we, right. the, the diet and the diet industry, which by the way, this is an industry that is predicated on selling something that, that people will fail at because if it's a $60 billion industry. They're not oh, really true. selling diets so that you can just diet and be done with it. They're selling diets because diets will they fail. You're going to fail the next diet. And that's how it's, that's why it's a $60 billion industry. But it it sells that illusion. Hey, when I lose weight, then I'm going to have the life I want. And you know, when when I when I get to that size, then I'm going to feel this about myself. Then I'm going to. It's that when then just and it's it's throughout our culture, right? It's like, well, when I have a million dollars, then I'm going to know I'm successful, or you know, or or ten thousand dollars, or whatever it is for different people. You know, when I get that car, I'm going to feel this way. Um, so there are so many examples in which we are putting our happiness off for some future time that is based on something ex- external, really. That so ha- will change the way we feel. So how do you work with somebody who comes in with that with that attitude? What then? How do you work with that patient? I'd be more, I, I would never say, look, that is an <laughs> illusion. And <laughs> I know you would, but maybe you would. <laughs> Not the first time, maybe the second time. No, I, I, I would say, well, you know, tell me more about the life you want. Mm. And let's look at other ways maybe that you can achieve that other than have weight loss because it, it's this, it's seen as, oh, if you lose weight just magically, like what a superpower that would be. People say, Oh, uh, my boyfriend broke up with me, but I'm going to lose 20 pounds and get him back. Oh, really? Your boyfriend is that superficial that he would want you back if you lost 20 pounds? Like what a superpower that you think you have that if you just change your body, that you can then change the way people respond to you. What an illusion that is. What a, a, you know. And you know what, right now with... um... You know, we didn't discuss this before we went on the air, but um, with the Ozempic craze going on right now, there are a lot of younger people. I mean, it might span across the age groups, but I see it a lot in the 30-somethings that uh, they feel that once they they lose the 10, 15, 20 pounds with Ozempic, which is the magic pill that everybody's been searching for, then then I will have success. Then I will be the most popular girl. Then I'll have success in all areas of life. Has that been something you've had to start dealing with in your practice? It's the same. It's, it's just different because it's Ozempic, right? Mm -hmm. But it's people having this thought of, Hey, if I change my body, if I lose weight, if I can just get a handle on this, if I can stop binge eating, if I can stop emotional eating, if I can do that and lose weight, not everyone who binge eats, by the way, has to lose weight or wants to lose weight. Most people do. Um, That it's the, when this happens, when I change my body, then my life is going to change. So to answer your question, what I ask is, well, tell me about the life you want to have, you know, what is it? What, what would that look like? What is the difference between now and then? Because I would never want to shatter someone's illusion in the beginning that, Hey, you're, if you are shy and you think you're going to become more confident, if you lose weight, I would never say you are dreaming girl or a guy. So see a lot of men, I would say just what, what what's wrong with being shy or how does that affect your life or why do you want to be different? What, like, tell me about the life you want to have. So what are some of the strategies that you provide your patients in dealing with this, a binge eating disorder that if they want to eat at nighttime, for example, what are, if you can share some of your strategies, which I think they're all in your book, The Binge Cure, which I, everybody who's listening, you need to go and get the book because it is, it's an easy read 
and it's full of lots of information. So let's go through some of the strategies that you commonly use to help. And I and I was also happy that you brought up men because in my mind, I think it affects more women, right? But it doesn't. It doesn't. I should also say that that before I answer your question, and I just did a show here on Voice America, my new the binge cure with the show. And what was the topic? How to stop binge eating at night. Mm. Oh, okay. So, so listen to the show. But yes, I'm yes. Uh, but most people think, oh, you just see, you know, teenagers and people in their twenties. No, actually, almost everyone I see is in their forties, fifties, sixties, even seventies, including men. And a lot of them have struggled for decades and they've always thought that they lacked willpower. They lack control. They, they were food addicts, whatever. And they're, and they've tried every diet. One person said, I've tried every diet in America. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. And they, they, they I've heard the same thing myself from yes. my clients. Yeah. And, and so the first thing is to really look at the why, you know, why are you turning to food? especially at night. So in the day we're busy, we're doing things, we're working or taking care of kids or grandkids or whatever. We're, we're usually very busy and we're occupied, Mm -hmm. but at night, then we're not so busy. And that's when we are alone with ourselves. And when we are alone with ourselves, that's when uh, thoughts and feelings that we may not want to think can creep in such as, you know, I don't really like in your case, you know, oh, I'm maybe I'm not so satisfied in my marriage, but maybe that's also a very scary thought. And so it's like, rather than think, oh, I'm not so satisfied in my marriage. It's, I want to eat some more cake in the, I shouldn't eat the cake. I'm going to eat the cake. Oh my God. I ate the cake. I suck. I'm bad. Oh, I have no willpower. (sighs) I'm not going to eat any more cake. I'm not going to eat any more. I want another piece. I'm never, and then, and that's all night. Right. And since I had the cake, I might as well have the cookies and I might as well have the leftover pizza and I might as well order something else because tomorrow I'm going on a diet and I'm never going to have anything again. So you create deprivation and you create distraction. So a lot of what we do is look at, well, what are you actually distracting from? That's the first step. Is it physical or emotional hunger? What's going on within you? What are you distracting yourself from? What are the thoughts and the feelings that are too frightening to get in touch with? When I, I first when I first started as a therapist, I was a brand new therapist. And this was my very first group where the woman said, what does a skinny bitch like you know about binge eating? Yes. So one of the, one of the other people there, she insisted the whole time. I just really like food. I just have no willpower. I just, I just, I just like food. That's all. I just need to lose 20 pounds and then I'll be fine. I I don't have a binge eating problem. I don't have an emotional eating problem. I just like food too much. On the last day of the, of our group, maybe 20 minutes before the end of the group, she said, you know, if I'm really honest with myself and this group, I think that if I were not thinking about the 20 pounds I need to lose and all the dieting that I'm doing, I think I'd want to leave my husband. Oh, wow. Huge. But it was so scary. She could only admit it to herself and to us 20 minutes before the end of the group. Right. It was, it was, it's too threatening. It is much easier to count calories, carbs, and fat grams and focus on what are you eating and what's your diet and all of these things than it is to go inward and look at what's eating at you. Right. And I know that you talk about different types of food. I love talking about this with you, the crunchy, the soft. Uh, Do you want to get into detail with that? Okay. I'm happy to. My food mood formula secret that is no longer a secret because I'm talking about it all the time. Yes, I love it. I don't want it to be a secret. Uh, So about like 10 years into being a, a therapist for people struggling with eating disorders, I started noticing that there was a pattern. Like I, I, I had noticed it and then I started really noticing it. And what I saw was that when they chose certain kinds of foods, it was related to certain kinds of moods. And so I, I realized that it was one of, well, actually four categories, but the three main categories plus candy. So, so it was smooth and cre- it was smooth and creamy foods like ice cream or yogurt and things like that. 
filling foods like pizza, pasta, muffins, you know, things that kind of take up space within us. Mm-hmm. Crunchy, anything that makes you crunch down hard. Um, and then the last is, you know, candy. Uh, that's not chocolate. So what it, what it, what does it all mean? So when we want ice cream or something cr- smooth and creamy, what we're really craving is comfort. And the idea is that if that's your thing, you want to look at finding new ways of comforting yourself that don't involve, that doesn't involve eating. And filling foods, that's associated with filling a void. Loneliness, boredom, filling some kind of void. You want to look at the holes in your life and find new ways to fill them. And crunchy, anything that makes us bite down hard, that's associated with forms of anger. So frustration, irritation, anger, rage, whatever. <laughs> like, and, and to be able to express it without crunching it and then turning it on yourself. And people always say, well, what about chocolate? Like chocolate is you know, the thing, like what we're right. Well, some of us only like, like chocolate with creamy centers Mm. or milk chocolate that fits the creamy or dark chocolate or chocolate with nuts fits the crunchy. So it really does still fit the formula. And if you like candy, um, that's not chocolate. Want to think about the sweetness in your life that you may be missing and not the sweetness that comes from sugar, but, you know, the sweetness from, you know, enjoyment, fun, life, like the sweetness of life. You've got to develop an appetite for fun and for life. That's interesting. I, so if somebody is, who's listening, finds themselves, they're talking about, they're, they're watching TV, they get up and they're, they go to the chips and they're crunching, crunching, crunching. And they're, they've heard this show and they're like, well, what am I angry about? What types of, what, what do they go, where do they take those feelings to deal with, oh, I'm not hungry. Because I know this is something that I've talked to my clients about. It, it, I don't say things like only eat when you're hungry. I don't, I don't say that because I have a different way of suggesting how they eat, but it's not about you know, when you want to eat those things, I've always told my clients that after you finish eating something, don't immediately reach for the candy that, you know, this is different than what you're doing, but it is still that psychological uh, part is wait 20 minutes and ask yourself, are you hungry? Well, that is a great way of doing things if you don't have emotional eating disorder. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Right. That's if if they don't have this. So if you have patients that are eating, they know they're not hungry, they're coming to you and they're like, okay, I'm eating ice cream every single night. I'm not hungry. I don't want to eat it. It's actually making me feel kind of sick because I'm eating so much of it. How do they deal with that? Uh, I will answer that. But first, I got to say this, which is that the food mood formula secret, it only applies to the times when you're eating to resolve something emotional. Okay. It doesn't apply to like, you know, eating some chips with your sandwich is not the same as eating a family sure. bag of Doritos and hating yourself with every bite. Like those are two different things. So I'd, I'd say, okay, I think that the, the ice cream is telling us that you need comfort with comfort. What is it that you need comfort about? Like what's going on in your life? that that you need to give yourself comfort. How do you comfort someone else? What do you think you'd experience if you didn't have that ice cream? What would you be in touch with? You know, and to just start being very curious, like a detective, I call myself a detective of the mind. Let's solve the mystery of why you're eating ice cream every night. You are. Okay, it's ice cream. Is it just ice cream, plain ice cream, or does it have nuts in it? In which case, okay, you need comfort, but maybe there's a little bit of frustration there, annoyance. Like if you couldn't be mad at yourself, who or what would you be upset with? You know, if, if what is it that's going on with you that's causing this need for comfort? Okay. And let's talk about that because that's the true root the ice cream is the solution. It's just not a great solution. How does somebody know if they're binge eating? That is a great question. So the difference between overeating and binge eating is we all overeat sometimes. Sometimes we don't eat enough during the day. And then when we start eating, it takes a while for us to know we're full. 
and we might just say, oh, oh, I, was, I had too much, you know, I, I'm, I'll just cut down later or I'll go to the gym extra time tomorrow, whatever. We don't get upset with ourselves, but it's just, it's just overeating, right? Binge eating. Some people say they binge if they eat four cookies. Some people, they say, say they binge when they eat 40 cookies, 40 cookies is more like a classic binge, but it's when you eat a large amount of food in a short amount of time, you feel kind of this frenetic sense of you can't stop or you keep going back to the kitchen, you know, every 20 minutes, you just can't stay out of the kitchen. You have this, this sense of like, like you want to stop, but you feel like you can't stop and you feel like this food has a possession over you. And afterwards or during you feel shame. You feel right. self-recrimination. You, you don't just say, oh, I ate too much. You say, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, this is horrible. If people knew they'd be heart. disgusted. I, you know, they, they, you attack yourself. You know, binge eating is just a negative coping strategy, which is why it feels so, so powerful. Right. But it, it's, it's, it makes you feel bad about yourself. So I want to I want to go back to what we were talking about before the break about the fear of transforming your mind and your body possibly because I'm I do you talk about weight loss at all? Just curious uh, from yeah. a health a healthy Sam. Okay, I, because the transformation of the mind and the body to a healthier place because that's where that's why they've come to you. And the fear involved with that transformation, how do you take somebody from where they are to that place? By identifying and exploring their fears. There's been, there's this new thing in eating disorders that says you're not supposed to talk about weight loss. You're not supposed to want to, 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 you're not supposed to let people want to lose weight. You're supposed to promote body positivity. And you know what? If someone is like, I'm overweight and I don't care. I feel good about my body. Great. Good for you. But there are a lot of people who do not feel good about their bodies. They do want to lose weight. And I totally support that. I just don't support the idea that you'll be a better you when you lose weight. It's like the idea is how can you be there for yourself and take your own side while you are working through the underlying issues that are causing you to turn to food or not let yourself lose weight. So yes. And we talk about the hope and the fear. There's the hope of, Hey, um, I'm going to go on more dates or I'm, and the fear is, you know, Oh, but if people reject me now, I can say it's my weight. I'm just making this up, but no, I totally understand. No, that's a great example. But, but if, if I lose weight and I get rejected, Oh, it's actually me or, uh, big is yes. powerful. I hear this a lot. Like mm-hmm. I once had, a, a, she was 13 years old. She was extremely overweight. And she once poignantly said to me, um, nothing bad happens to fat girls. Mm-hmm. And so she was very resistant to losing weight because for her losing weight meant putting herself in a position of being, um, you know, in danger. objectified and something bad could happen to her, like all of this. So it's, it's really looking at the reasons that people have the fear, which is usually the hidden part is there along with the hope. Right. So you mentioned developments in this area. Are there any other developments that are helping men and women become healthier? Uh, we have to, I'm not sure I understand. Yeah, no, like for emotional eating disorders, you know, what you're talking about, is there any progress? I mean, there are people like you talking about this and helping people are, are they talking about it more? You know, we talked, you talked about the, the diet industry being a, a $60 billion business because they know people are going to fail. So have there been any developments that can help more people cure themselves? No, I think things are actually getting getting worse because now, in addition to uh, yes, there are a lot of people talking about like uh, weight bias or fat bias or body positivity or health at any size and all of that. 
but that doesn't help someone who who's like eating compulsively because you know they they want to lose the compulsion much more so than they want to even lose the weight they want to they want to stop binge eating they don't want to their focus isn't always on losing weight yes they want to lose weight but it's really the behavior that causes so much shame so why i say things are getting worse is because we have this Yes, you know, anti-diet culture is beginning to take hold, which is good, but it still doesn't address the main reason why people binge eat or do other addictions, which is our cultural prohibition against feeling emotions and being human. Our emotions are just what keeps us, uh, uh, you know, connected to ourselves and each other. But we have a culture that says, oh, you have a feeling, take a pill. There's something wrong with you. That's the problem. Right. And the, and the shame and the guilt that goes along with feeling the way that they do wanting to change and going back to the what them. So there's the what then the shame, the guilt, there's all of, there's so many emotions involved. And I, I am just so happy that you're helping so many people. How can our listeners get in touch with you? They can go to Dr. Nina Inc. D-R-N-I-N-A-I-N-C.com, Dr. Nina Inc. Uh, you can find my shows. You can get access to my books or maybe just one book. Um, it's also available on Amazon. You can you can find me on Instagram. I'm at The Binge Cure and that, that's my book account. And Dr. Nina Psychoanalyst is my main account. And I answer all my DMs personally. So if you have any questions, I'm here. Thank you. Is there any bit of advice that you can leave us with if somebody, you know, if somebody who's listening knows somebody who's struggling? Yes. Don't talk to them about their weight. Don't be the food police. Talk to them about what they're experiencing and talk to them about like, you know, what are they struggling with? What are their hopes and fears versus what are they doing with food? That's great advice because I think those of us who have people in our lives that we're concerned about, we don't know how to approach them. And that's great advice because it, if we're not struggling, we don't understand what they're struggling with. So this entire episode has been incredibly helpful. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me as always. Yes. And we could also find you your show on Voice America is called again, The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Yes, please go and listen to that. And Dr. Nina Savelle Rockland, thank you so much for being on Fearlessly Authentic. Thanks for having me. And until next week, go have the most fearlessly authentic week ever. And I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you for tuning in this week to Fearlessly Authentic. Please listen again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and unlock the keys to a more powerful you.